You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. It's ancient Rome where you would be required to say, Caesar is Lord. But if you committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you became a follower of Jesus Christ, now, now, look, Caesar's not Lord in your life. Jesus is Lord. And to say by the Spirit of God, Jesus is Lord, would cost you, and sometimes greatly. What price have you had to pay for the gospel? Many of us would be hard-pressed to name any real negative impact our faith has had on our quality of life. That's a blessing that we can be thankful for. But as Pastor Danny will remind us in today's message, we need to be willing to give it all for Christ. He gave everything for us to become a part of His family. And if we're truly following Him wholeheartedly, we can expect to face persecution at some point. Will we stand firm in our faith or crumble in fear? Now here's Pastor Danny in Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. Scholars argue, is that a literal 10 days? Is it representative of a longer time? Does it really matter? Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. John the Apostle on the island of Patmos, he's been banished there by the, by the emperor Domitian. It was the Alcatraz of the ancient world. And he receives this revelation, the book of the revelation. Chapters two and three are seven letters to seven churches. They are not all of the churches that existed in that time. They are chosen by God sovereignly. And the messages they contain are for the church age. So it's for you and me. That's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, not just one church. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Smyrna was about 35 miles north of Ephesus. We covered the letter to Ephesus last Sunday. Smyrna means 
bitter. It's related to the word myrrh, Smyrna. Myrrh was one of the one of the items that the wise men brought as they came to find the Christ child and they worshiped him and they brought their gifts. And some of the gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh spoke prophetically of Jesus' mission. He came to suffer and to die. If you're a Bible student, you'll appreciate this little nugget. In Isaiah chapter 60, there's a prophecy um, and a string of things that are going to happen in the future when Jesus comes, his second coming, sets up his kingdom on earth. And one of the things it says, it's easy to read right through this and not catch it. Here's what it says. All from Sheba will come to the king, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. It specifically does not say myrrh. The wise men brought gold, incense, and myrrh. But in this day, yet future, when Jesus rules and reigns from the earth, People will come and they will bring gold and incense. Why no myrrh? Because myrrh spoke prophetically his first coming, his suffering, and his death. That's accomplished. He's alive and he will never die again. No reason to bring myrrh in the future. It has no significance. has no meaning. They would embalm bodies and as they wrapped them in the linens to embalm them for burial, they would take myrrh. And they would put it in the folds of the linen cloth. Domitian, who banished John to the island of Patmos, he made emperor worship a requirement for all Roman citizens. Smyrna became a center for emperor worship. We have the record. They built a um, temple to Tiberius Caesar. In AD 23, or 23 BC, excuse me. Why am I giving you that history lesson? In that day, those who refused to worship the emperor could receive the death penalty. But even if you didn't receive the death penalty because you refused to worship the emperor, you might lose your job. Or if you're expecting to get a certain job, you don't worship the emperor, you may not get that job. Once a year... All the citizens in this day had to burn incense on an altar to whoever the Caesar was at the time. And you burn the incense to the altar and you say, you say, Caesar is Lord. And on that day, they would, they would have somebody lead them and they would say it in unison. Say, Caesar is Lord. Now don't say it here. <laughs> and that gives fresh meaning that you can appreciate more to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. And let me tell you what it says. Paul writing by the Holy Spirit, and he says, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. You've got the Spirit of God, and you're not, you're not going to say, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. Now, in our culture, that doesn't really carry a lot of weight, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. 1 Corinthians, it's ancient Rome where you would be required to say, Caesar is Lord. But if you committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you became a follower of Jesus Christ, now, now, look, 
Caesar's not Lord in your life. Jesus is Lord. And to say by the Spirit of God, Jesus is Lord, would cost you, and sometimes greatly. So to be a Christian in the church of Smyrna, it was tough. Polycarp was what they call one of the church fathers. They tell us that his mentor, his discipler, was the apostle John, who's pinning this book, Revelation. At 86 years old, in Smyrna, because Polycarp became the senior pastor, if you will, of the church in Smyrna. At age 86, they tied Polycarp to a stake and lit a fire. I don't know if it's true, but some writings say the fire wouldn't touch him. And so somebody from a distance stabbed him. He died a martyr's death. He's one of the ones that Jesus is giving the encouraging word to. And what an encouraging word. I mean, the message to the church of Smyrna, here it is. I realize the slander. I realize the tough times you're going through. Three words used here for what they're going through. One is afflictions. It means utter anguish. It means to be crushed beneath the weight. Second word is the word poverty. But it means to be completely destitute. And yet from heaven's perspective, they're rich. The third word is the word slander. People are slandering them. They're slurring them. They're insulting them. Because they're Christians. And what an encouraging word from Jesus. I realize the tough time you're having. And then he says, you need to understand something. It's going to get worse. Some of you, some of you, in order to test your faith, you're going to prison for your faith. And some of you are going to die. Just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. That was Polycarp. 86 years old. He's probably going, man, come on, 86, really? And they tied him to a stake and they murdered him. But he's with Jesus now and he, if he could be here, he would say, look, it was tough, but I'm going to tell you something, it was worth it all. Jim Elliott. He was one of five missionaries. He was killed on January the 8th, 1956, one year before I was born. He was attempting to evangelize a group of Aka Indians in the jungles of Ecuador. And the very people he's trying to reach murdered him. Seven years before, on October the 8th, 1949, Jim Elliott penned these words in his journal. And I quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. In order to gain that which he cannot lose. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. That's a very good point. (laughs) We're not going to get to it for a while, but it's Revelation chapter 20. It's called the great white throne judgment. God is seated on his throne. Multitudes stand before him. At the final judgment, books are open. Another book is open, which is called the book of life. And in another place, it's called the Lamb's book of life. And anyone whose name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Some people are going to die twice. The only way you can keep from dying twice is to be born again once. And if you're born again by faith in Jesus Christ, 
The second death has no power over you. Some people today, when you talk about things like a lake of fire, hell, they say, oh, you believe in that, that kind of stuff? Yes. You say, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. You better be right. The encouragement to this church, things are bad. Things are going to get worse. Persevere. Even to the point of death. And the second death will have no power over you. Paul would write in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Think about who's writing those words. The Apostle Paul. Ever read about his life? Jesus told him ahead of time how much he must suffer for the name of Jesus. That's not normal. He doesn't. Did he tell you? He didn't tell me. Maybe most of us, if he'd tell us, we'd run. There are a few he told them ahead of time. Now, he told us generally. He told us generally. And let me speak generally for a minute. By the way, we'll be on the letter to the church of Smyrna more than just today. And I know I heard from the Lord on that one. So this is part one. 2 Timothy 3.12, this is a, this is a wonderful, one of those warm, fuzzy promises, you know, you want to memorize. Here it is. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You memorize that and you walk around and quote, and say, oh, what a warm, fuzzy feeling. It gives me just joy. I'm all down under. I mean, if you're the real deal, if you are the real deal, if you really do know Jesus, you're going to suffer in some way. In some way. Romans 8, 17. If we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. You can't be a real, genuine article and there not be some kind of cost. I mean, again, we've, we've talked about it before. Just being willing to confess Jesus Christ publicly. There's a cost to that. I thought about it deeply this past week in my preparation. And there are two categories of suffering in the will of God. Two categories. And that's about as far as we'll get this morning. Two categories. The first category is suffering that I choose because of my faith. I choose. Great verse. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He chose. Now, I think everybody knows at least the basic story of Moses. Uh, When Pharaoh in that day had ordered the Hebrew babies to be killed, thrown into the Nile, Moses in the sovereignty of God, parents made him a little boat basket, put him in the Nile, entrusted him to the Lord. Pharaoh's daughter's coming down to the Nile one morning with all of her maid girls, you know, and all of a sudden they see this little thing floating out there and they hear a baby and they, they get it. And, and Moses' sister is looking from behind the bush somewhere and she comes up and says, you want me to get the child's mother for you? To nurse this child for you? And she says, that's a great idea. Actually, she doesn't say her mother. She just says, you want me to get one of the Hebrew um, ladies in the sovereignty of God? It's Moses' sister, and she doesn't know it. And so Moses sovereignly is raised in his very early years by his real mother, but then he becomes known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
And humanly speaking, that's not a bad thing to be known as. You know why? Because being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, you got a nice bed. Because you live in the palace. Right? Right? You have privilege. You have power even because you're the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Acts tells us that Moses, when he grew up, was powerful in speech, in action, because he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You get honor. You get comfort. But Moses is not really the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's not his calling. That's not who he really is. He doesn't belong to Egypt. Egypt is a type in the Bible of the world. He has a sovereign plan. God has a sovereign plan for his life. God has a calling for his life. But in order to follow that call, he has to make a decision. He has to choose. And he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He said no to the comfort, the privilege, the honor, all the things that went with being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let me read you the next verse from Hebrews 11, verse 26. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. There's a part of suffering as a Christian that I choose. It's my decision to be identified as a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And there's a price that comes with there's a second, second part of choosing because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's training. If I'm really worth my salt, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and he said, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. Don't misquote that verse. Some people say the Bible says physical training is of no value. That's not what the Bible says. It says physical training is of some value, but godliness Training for godliness has value not only for this life, but the one to come. So if you're going to really focus, if you're going to really sacrifice, don't just do gold's gym, do God's gym. It just so happened, just by coincidence, in preparation for my message from the letter to the church of Smyrna. Last week, I just finished the last chapter and. Mark Batterson's newest book, it's called Whisper, Seven Languages of God, How to Hear the Voice of God. Excellent book. I recommend it. Let me read you a little section from that last chapter dealing with pain as one of the ways God speaks. Mark Batterson says, when I work out, one of my soundtracks is the training montage from Rocky IV. It helps me get a few, few extra steps, a few extra steps or reps. I've seen the movie so many times that I can picture Rocky Balboa running up a snow-covered mountain. Rocky saws wood, splits logs. He does dog sled bear crawls, lunges with a wooden beam through waist-deep snow. He does Roman chair lifts in an old barn or chair sit-ups uh, in an old barn, core work with an ox yoke and the shoulder press with a horse carriage. Do you remember the two-word mantra repeated by Rocky's trainer, Duke, over and over again? I sometimes hear it in my head when I hit the wall during a workout. Four times in the barn and two times in the ring, Duke says, no pain, no pain, no pain. I don't think it's a denial 
of the excruciating pain that Rocky is inflicting on himself, it's a reminder that there's a purpose beyond the pain. There's victory on the other side. I read that and I couldn't help but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Paul the apostle here writes such practical words. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize, the gold. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We're going for gold, man. But it's eternal. There's a suffering I choose because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I choose to suffer just because of my identification with him and my calling, which is an eternal calling. And I choose to suffer when I get up early in the morning and I get into this book, not to just yell at you. (laughs) I get in it to feed my soul. And at 60 years old, when I see the 25-year-old walking by in the short skirt or the low blouse, she looks better than ever. And I turn away and I look because this is my wife. And I want to say no to the flesh and no to the temptation and no to the deception and no to the lie of something you can have that's a pleasure that doesn't last. You kidding me? We're talking eternity here. There's a suffering I choose because I'm a Christian. I choose to say no to the world. I choose to say yes to Jesus. I choose to train and discipline myself. There's a suffering in the will of God at times you never saw coming and you don't desire. Jesus said to Peter, when you were young, you dressed the way you wanted to dress and you went where you wanted to go. When you're old, Peter, they'll dress you in a way you don't want to be dressed and they'll lead you where you do not want to go. You've got to love Peter. Let me tell you something about Peter. Don't lose me on this. I'm almost done, but don't lose me on this. Peter thought he was more spiritual than all the other disciples. He proved that when Jesus told the truth. Peter, yeah, I know. You say you'll die with me this very night before the rooster crows. You'll deny three times you know me. No, I won't. I'm going to die with you. These guys do. I won't. Yeah. He hated roosters every day after that. But you got to love Peter. He thought he was more spiritual. You know, on the beach there after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus is walking with Peter and he reveals to him how he's going to die a martyr's death one day. You're going to lead you where you don't want to go. Dress you the way you don't want to dress. You know the first thing Peter said after that? John is following them on the beach. John the apostle. The pen is. John And Peter says to Jesus, if that's what's, if that's what's going to happen to me, what about him? Who saw that coming? That's a suffering you don't choose. That's a suffering. And I, I didn't know anybody there. I didn't, I've heard so we have some people that had some family related somehow. What a tragedy. I grieve. More difficult than losing my life would be losing my child.
The book of Revelation isn't a pleasant book to study. It lays out for you the end of the world as you know it right now, and the devastation that will be falling on the world is overwhelming, and it can make you ache for the people who will have to endure it. It can also make you long for everyone you know to seek and find Jesus right now. Only He can save the people of the world from this terrible end and His grace is available right now to everyone. Today, let Jesus bring to mind those friends, family, and even acquaintances that you can be praying for and actively sharing His gospel message with. We know this isn't an easy task, so we'd like to support you in prayer. Please email us at info at ccfstpete.church. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Living Word. Pastor Danny will continue this verse-by-verse study of Revelation in our next edition of The Living Word. But right now, you can hear more by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. There you'll also learn more about Pastor Danny and the church these messages originate from, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We'd love to meet you, so if you're in the area, please come join us for one of our weekend services. We gather each Saturday and Sunday to worship the Lord and learn from His Word, and we'd be honored to share that time with you. Be sure to stop Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. You'll find all the information you need at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more from the book of Revelation, right here on The Living Word. 